said that worship is the first responsibility of the church, and I believe that's exactly right. You know, Paul describes the church as those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and Peter says that the church is designed to proclaim the excellences of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Our Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism, the first question is, what is man's chief end? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And it is in worship that we do that the most. Where we glorify God the most and where we ought to enjoy Him the most. So the church is first and foremost a worshiping assembly. If you were to ask me, what is the most important thing the church does? This is it. Worship is it. When we worship as a body... Our faith is strengthened, our love for Christ is renewed, and our hearts are refreshed. When a church is engaging in true worship, it glorifies God, it exalts Christ, and it encourages the saints. And true worship is attractive, and people are drawn to true worship because they sense the presence of God is there. And so worship is no casual or indifferent or optional affair. Rather, it is something that is important, something that believers are obligated to do, and something that matters in our spiritual lives. That's why we don't try not to talk so much here about coming to church. We try to focus upon coming to worship because the times that we come here together are times for worship. It is the very heart of of the reason for why we are saved. We are saved to be worshiping people and to give worship to God. Now there are, as we all know, different styles of worship in different churches. They go from uh, the very formal to the extremely informal, from being held in elaborate sanctuaries with magnificent pipe organs uh, to little storefront places of worship. Uh, in the history of North Point, some of you worshipped in places that probably weren't very worshipful. And your worship still was very real. They range from very traditional services with lots of magnificent hymns to very contemporary services with praise bands and no hymns at all. I'm not here this morning to argue the validity of one form of worship or style of worship over another. You can tell by our own uh, order of worship and style of worship where our elders and where I am on the style of worship. But I would argue that the, the style of worship is not the important thing. It may be important, but it's not the most important thing. What matters most is not the external trappings of worship, but whether or not your heart is in your worship. You know, different cultures have different forms of worship. Different denominations may have different styles of worship. Even within the PCA, there's a broad variety of styles of worship with their own denomination. And you might prefer one over the other. There are certainly people who visited North Point over the years and uh, who have found themselves not to be comfortable with our particular style of worship. And I tell them, that is fine. You need to go to a place where you can find worship that is meaningful to you as long as you 
Find a place of worship where you are exposed to the truth and faithful preaching of God's Word. This morning I want us to think for a few moments about what it means to worship in the Spirit. If you look over with me just for a moment, you can keep your finger in John 4. We're coming back there in just a little bit. But Philippians chapter 3. We'll come back to this verse in a moment also. Philippians chapter 3. And verse 3. Paul identifies believers right in the center of that verse. He identifies believers, believers as those who worship in the Spirit of God. And who glory in Christ Jesus. Believers are those who worship in the Spirit of God. What does that mean? What does that look like? To worship in the Spirit. Does it involve a certain style of worship? A certain form of worship? Does it mean that there's a certain kind of music played? A certain order of worship? No order of all at all? Uh, does it disallow any kind of planning for worship? And just say that worship must be contem- uh, completely extemporaneous? Uh, off the cuff? Is that what it means to be Worshiping in the Spirit. To be honest, the answers to all those questions might not be found until we get to heaven. I want to look beyond those kinds of surface issues this morning that tend to divide the church and look at the more basic and fundamental issues of what it really means to worship in the Spirit, regardless what your style of worship may be. I want to give you four characteristics of Spirit-led worship this morning. And the first is, and this ought to be uh, kind of a redundant statement, I guess, and that is true worship is given by believers. True worship is given by true believers. If you look at that Philippians 3 passage with me again. Paul is contrasting the, the dead worship of the scribes and the Pharisees or of the religious Jewish establishment with the true and living worship of those who worshipped by the Spirit of God having been born again by His Spirit. And, you know, Paul knew the difference because Paul had grown up in that Jewish tradition in the deadness of the Jewish worship of that day. But he'd also been involved in true worship having been converted and church and knowing what it meant to be really involved in spirit-led worship. And so Paul knew what he was talking about. He knew the difference. Look what he says in verses 2 and 3. He says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Now those are some harsh words that Paul directs at the Jewish religious leaders of the Jewish religious establishment. But then he went on to say, in contrast to that, verse 3, for we, that is we believers, are the true circumcision, who, in contrast to the Jews, who have dead worship, who are focused upon ceremonial worship, we are those who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Those who are the true circumcision, who are true believers, are those who worship, Paul says, in the Spirit. That is, only believers can worship that way. Oh, unbelievers can attend a service of worship. 
They can sing the hymns. They can read the words. They can hear the message. But they cannot worship in the Spirit because they don't have the Spirit. Remember, we have already seen in our study in the Holy Spirit that if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. We come to worship having the Holy Spirit in our lives. We don't come to the temple finding the place where God is because God is where we are. God is in us and we come together to worship with the Spirit, in the Spirit, because the Spirit indeed is in us. Remember we've seen that Paul says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Again, in the Old Testament, believers went to the temple. That's where, that's where the presence of God was. Wherever we are, that is where God is in our midst. He promises where two or three of you are gathered, there I am in your midst. True believers engage in true worship. The second, spirit-led worship is focused on God. A basic principle of worship is that worship is all about God. And many people have that badly confused. Many people evaluate a service of worship on how that service makes them feel. What matters in a service of worship is how it glorifies God. Our feelings in worship, quite honestly, are secondary. What matters most is whether in worship God is praised and God is glorified and God is honored. Spirit-led worship is worship that is focused upon God. You know, we sang early in our service a, a praise song. Father, we love you. We worship and adore you. Glorify thy name in all the earth. And that's our desire in worship, that God's name would be glorified. And when we come to worship, we worship the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each of those verses you might remember addressed each person of the Godhead. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Genuine spirit-led worship is all about God. Look with me now at the John 4 passage we read earlier. I'm not going to go in detail into this text. You know the story quite well, I'm sure. It's a familiar one, the woman at the well. Jesus was passing through Samaria. He came uh, to Jacob's well. There was a woman there who had come to draw water. Jesus asked her for a drink. And uh, the conversation quickly moved from water that comes from a well to living water. When you partake of it, you don't ever thirst again. And then the conversation went into the woman's personal life, which quite honestly wasn't very appealing. And Jesus talked to her about that. And then the conversation evolved into a discussion of worship. We tend to think that the woman kind of deviated off into worship to try to get Jesus off track of where he was. And I was talking about the fact that she had had five husbands and she was living out of wedlock with a man at the present time. And so as a kind of diversion, she said, well, what about, what about worship? 
we worship here in Mount Gerizim. You worship in Jerusalem. Where's the right place to worship? And Jesus used that as an opportunity to teach a very, very important lesson about worship. And it discounted right off the bat that the place of worship was the most important thing. And he directed her toward what true worship is. Look at verse 23 where he says, But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. An hour is coming, Jesus says, and even now is when he says true worshipers will worship in a certain way. Now if Jesus is going to say there are true worshipers, the flip side is there are False worshipers. If there are people who worship in the true way, there are also those who worship in a false way. And Jesus says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And then he goes on to say, for such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Do you see that? Jesus is saying, God is seeking people to worship him. That's why I say true worship, spirit-led worship, is all about God. God is seeking people who will worship Him. Worship, spirit-led worship, is all about God. Then the third characteristic of spirit-led worship is that it is spiritual in nature. We've just seen that Jesus said to the woman in the well, you know, where we worship doesn't matter. You worship on Mount Gerizim. We worship in Jerusalem. And really in the context, Jesus is denouncing both of them. Both of them had deteriorated into something far less than what God expected and what God desired. You see, what matters in worship is not where we are, but where our focus is. Where our hearts are. We come to do what we experience while we worship. Now that might seem terribly obvious to you, but it really is one of the greatest dangers we face in worship. That is worshiping simply in form and not in reality. That is simply going through the forms of worship and not truly engaging our hearts in worship. And that's what Jesus says both in verse 23 and in verse 24 when he talks about those who worship God worshiping in spirit and in truth. And then in verse 24, what he says is God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now that's a tricky verse to translate. Uh, tricky verse to determine from the context if the Greek word pneuma refers to the Holy Spirit or to the human spirit, uh, to the spirit as a person or to the person who has a spirit. Uh, in my own text, the New American Standard Bible, I know I checked the NIV, I checked the ESV. In those versions, uh, the letters, the letters S and spirit are all not capitalized. In the King James, New King James, uh, the first spirit is, where it says God is spirit or God is a spirit. 
point that Jesus is making here is that worship is to be spiritual in nature. That was the problem with the Samaritans at Mount Gerizim. That was the problem with the Jews in Jerusalem. Is that worship becomes something not spiritual. Something become ceremonial, formal, ritualistic. Something that did not point their eyes and hearts to God, but something that was focused upon a particular manner or style or system of worship. And Jesus is telling the woman, look, if you're going to worship, you've got to worship from the heart. It's got to be spiritual worship. It's so easy. It was so easy then. It's so easy now for people to focus upon the ritual of worship, the ceremony of worship. Don't think that doesn't happen today. Years ago when Carol and I were first married, and it was years ago when Carol and I were first married, uh, she was finishing school and uh, I was working three jobs to try to help us survive. And uh, one of our jobs involved the place that we lived. We lived in the parish house, or the parsonage, uh, the more common uh, language, of an Episcopal church. The rector, or the minister of the church, had his own house. This house was right next to the church. He still had an office downstairs, and we had an apartment upstairs, so we got to know Father Clark quite well in the first six months of our marriage that we lived there. Part of my job, in order to pay the rent, where we lived was to take care of the, uh, of the of the house and to take care of the outside. Uh, in the winter, we lived there primarily in the winter. It involved shoveling snow or running the snow blower, keeping the sidewalks clean. And so uh, if it snowed during the night, I'd have to get up early, get the snow blower out and blow the snow from the sidewalks before I went to my real job, which usually involved more shoveling of snow. In Omaha, in January and February, it snows a lot. There are certain days of the week, one day in particular, I remember that uh, Father Clark would come early for an early service. And one day I was out blowing the snow, and uh, it was so bad no one came to the service except Father Clark. But the ritual of the service was so important to him that he came out and got me. And he said, I need you to read something for me. What's a guy to do? I worked for him. So I went into the little chapel where he was conducting his service by himself and he said, okay, when I get to this place, you read these words. Then when you're through, you can leave. When I went back out to finish blowing the snow, I began to think, what? What? An empty kind of ritual. Where all that matters is going through the ceremony. And what mattered was just that the certain things were read at a certain place and in a certain time going through the motions of worship. But let's be honest. Isn't it easy for us to do that sometimes? Isn't it easy for us to think, well, if I'm just at at the right place at the right time, 
If I sit in my seat, if I sing when they say to sing, when I read when they say to read, when I bow my head when they pray, when I put something in the plate, if I put something in the plate when they pass it by, and if I tell the preacher something about a good sermon at the end, then I've been to worship. It's so easy for us to reduce worship simply to a form, to a ritual, to something we do every week. Again, I've told you before, I pray every Lord's Day that you would come to worship not out of a sense of duty, but out of delight, not because you feel that you have to. It's Sunday, I've got to go to church. Because you want to. And then when you get here, worship would mean something to you. That the, that the songs that we sing and the songs that we hear would lift our hearts to God. That our prayers would draw us near into His presence to sense that He really is with us. That the reading of His Word would be authoritative. And we would know that it is His Word speaking to us as we read it together. Preaching or the proclamation of his word would have some relevance, some application to your heart and to your life. So that you, when you leave from this place, it wouldn't be, well, I, I went to church again today. But it would be, boy, I've really been in worship today. And God has ministered to my soul through everything that we have done in the service of worship. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, worship must be in spirit with the heart, putting ourselves into it. Now, we do have a, a form of worship. We print a bulletin every Lord's Day. I had a seminary classmate of mine. In fact, he was one of my best friends. We were each other's best men in our wedding who after he graduated from seminary, we were classmates, came to me one day and said, you don't need a bulletin. Why do you lock people in to what the Holy Spirit is going to do in worship? It is a form of worship, isn't it? Now we change it a little bit every once in a while, but it's pretty much the same. Does worshiping the Spirit mean we don't have any kind of form to our worship? Or does it mean that we can have a form as long as we aren't tied to it? If this form of worship ever gets in the way of the Spirit's work in your heart and mind and worship, then we need to do something different. Our desire is not to worship in form only, but in reality. The form of worship, you see, is a, me a mechanism, a vehicle to help us worship God with the heart and with the Spirit. And fourth, the fourth characteristic is that Spirit-led worship is assisted by the Holy Spirit. And I can be brief here. Whether you capitalize the word spirit in John 4, 23 and 24 isn't the most crucial thing. 
Because, you know, the Bible is clear throughout that worship, genuine worship, is motivated, inspired by the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of God is not among us, folks, this is dead worship. If you don't come here to worship engaging the Spirit of God who lives in you by grace through faith, then our worship is just the expression of words, hollow, empty, meaningless, ritualistic. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit really would move among us, be with us, inspire us, encourage us as we come together to worship. Remember, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is the helper. He helps us in lots of different ways, and one of the ways He helps us is in worship. He helps us to worship God in a true and living way. Again, what did Paul say in Philippians 3? True worshipers worship in the Spirit of God. And we need the assistance of the Holy Spirit to worship. No one knows how the Holy Spirit will work in the life of a believer in worship. Just because you aren't emotionally effective in worship doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart. Some people think that the evidence of the Holy Spirit active in worship is reduced to emotions. Sometimes the Holy Spirit in worship might work upon our minds as well as our hearts, teaching us, instructing us, showing us a new truth that we can take and apply to our hearts and to our lives. Sometimes worship is emotional. Sometimes we are reduced to tears in worship. Sometimes we are filled with joy and exuberance in worship. Sometimes people are led to raise their hands in worship or kneel in worship. And we must never forbid people from genuine expressions of emotion in worship. What is important is that our expressions of worship not be designed to draw attention to ourselves, but to give praise to God. Remember, we've started, worship is all about Him. And if worship in any way, even faintly, becomes about me, then worship is out of place. Oh yes, worship is a blessing for the believer. But worship, the blessing of worship for a believer is a byproduct of us giving God true worship. Then he blesses our hearts as a result of it. Look, it's harder for me than it is for you. It's so easy for someone in my place or in Gavin's place to try to make worship about us, to impress you with our abilities or with our knowledge. But if it ever becomes that, worship is hollow and meaningless. Even my leading of worship, a 
of my preaching of the Word. I'm not somehow trying to point you away from here to God. I failed. Worship. Spiritual worship. True worship. It's assisted by the Holy Spirit. And when we come to worship, we need to pray for each other. You need to pray for me. And we need to pray for each other that God, the Holy Spirit, would truly move among us and give us true worship that is focused upon God, that is performed through the mediatorial work of Christ and is assisted by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. May God give us that kind of worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Bless us as we seek to be true worshipers. That we would have spirit-led worship here that points us primarily to you and instructs us and teaches us and lifts our hearts as we glorify and honor your holy name and worship. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.